Hello, friends. You know what time it is. Time to find your balls. My name is Jeff Stuckey, riding shotgun. Greg Allen behind the wheel. Good morning, Greg. How are you this morning? I'm great, Jeff. <laughs> Welcome to the Man Made Podcast. Glad you could join us. Yeah, thanks. Good any, to be here. Uh, any exciting uh, mishaps? <laughs> many, many, but I'm just not prepared for the small talk. I, you know, I got to okay, get geared up for that. I don't want to wear you out on that. All right. Uh, did you notice I'm wearing sunglasses? Yes, they are awesome. It's kind of hard to keep a straight face here, but they're great. You know why I'm wearing sunglasses? No, tell me. Well, one, I'm just exceedingly giddy because we have a guest today. And by my observation, I would say he's kind of the personification of what we talked about last week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with uh, Tommy Breedlove ending up in a ditch. Uh, right. force him to rethink his life and make some changes. Right. And this is a friend of mine um, that his life is just that. And the what's so inspiring about it is just the relentless resilience to just keep grinding, to keep saying, I want to be better. I want to be a better person. Mm-hmm. And to end up the man that he is now for me personally is just one of the most inspiring personal stories, um, that I've ever gotten to know. I bought these sunglasses from him. All right. So we were on a golf trip and everyone on this golf trip said that they were hacks. Mm -hmm. I was the only motherfucker telling the truth. (laughs) Yeah. And so we played 18 holes on the first day, 36 holes on the second day in fucking torrential rain. The first 18 holes on the third day were in were also rain. And then the sun came out, so it was 300% humidity. Mm-hmm. So my give a fuck broke. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and me and a buddy uh, decided we were just going to go, we were going to drink excessively, which we did. Yeah. And so we're driving around fucking with people and we pull up on a green and my buddy Bobby's on the green putting and he's Mm -hmm. got these sunglasses. Mm -hmm. And I lean over to Danny and I'm like, I have to have those sunglasses. (laughs) And so I wait and Bobby comes off the green after making his fucking putt because he's not a hack. He's a goddamn liar, too. And I'm like, Bobby, how much for the sunglasses? And he goes, I'm selling my fucking sunglasses. Well, the moral to the story is I got the sunglasses. Okay. Tell me what happened in between. I can't tell you, man. I don't know. I drank a whole lot. But, uh, Bobby. Yes, good Welcome morning. to the podcast, man. Thank we are you for thrilled, me. thrilled to have you. I'm excited to be here to be. And one of the reasons that I'm so excited to have you on the podcast is you are, by your own admission, old school. And my experience with you and being old school is you still practice and go by creeds that for the most part, society has forgotten. And the one thing I know about you above 
any and all things is your fucking word is your word. I appreciate that. I mean, if you say you're going to do something, I hang my head on that, <laughs> dude. You fucking do it, and you usually do it five minutes early. Um, <laughs> and so, anyway, we're just thrilled that you could join us. Um, it would would it be fair to say that you had a unconventional childhood? Yes, that's very fair. You know, uh, looking back, the way I would describe it. It would be more of a, a kaleidoscope childhood where there's broken pieces everywhere from dysfunctional situations, alcoholism, growing up across from a mafia social club to the people I grew up with, what was acceptable, how you made money, who you hung around with, what you thought, how you felt, how you dressed, how you, you know, you approached any situation. And the older I got, I, I call it the lasagna theory. There's seven layers to it. You know, I started out here. I started out coming out of my mother's womb, you know, beautiful baby, had all the opportunity in the world. And as the layers grew, different things happened. And at a very young age, I basically changed from what I would consider a good person to a person that was either lost or confused or made terrible choices, and there were consequences to those choices. But I didn't realize that till later in life. Um, I think we're all given instincts, and with those instincts, even though if we're doing something wrong or going down the wrong path, that we know we are, but it's still a choice. I don't care who raised you or how you were raised or how angry you were or what excuse you want to make. You know, my father did this, my mother did that, I had this, I didn't have that, whatever. I think we still have instincts to know that just the simplest thing is the difference between right and wrong. And it took me a long time to catch up to where I needed to be as a real person, as a father, as a leader, as a grandfather, as a husband, as a son. And I worked really hard at it. Um, there's a lot of things that my family doesn't know that I did. I kind of keep that in a vault, uh, either out of shame. Um, I just don't want them to know. You know, uh, sometimes I'd start telling my children stories of my childhood, and I'll never forget one day my daughter was 12 years old. She started crying. I said, "Oh my God, why are you crying?" She goes, "Daddy, I can't believe Mommy lets me go by you." I go, "I'm only kidding. I just want to see what you're into." <laughs> <laughs> you know, I didn't know how to how to get out of it. And from that day on, I never really, up until about six months ago, started having a, an adult conversation with my children because they were starting to be at a stage where I thought was mission critical of their development from a relationship standpoint with their with their husbands or their, their significant others. And I didn't want them to fall into severe consequences or pain that I felt with. So I had explained to them the things I did in my life, why I did them, what the consequences were. You know, you're over 25 now, you're an adult. There's nothing, you know, um, I'm not proud of it. It happened. I, I felt that I did the best I could with the skill set I had, the coping skills I had, and you guys are way better than I am. I said, the one thing you guys don't have is the street smarts I had because you didn't grow up on the street, but I didn't want it that way. It's endearing to me. I kind of, uh, I'm, I'm very big on body language, eye contact, words that are used, you know, after I have a serious conversation with my children. And the ones I really have that that's hardest for me personally is my daughters. I was always very protective of them. You know, I have a mindset of, you know, how a man should treat a woman, how I want their men to treat them. But I, I try and dig deeper a little bit. I go, what do you really think? I need to know. 
You know, I need to know. And I don't get a very detailed answer. Either they're afraid of me, they're afraid to say, they don't know, or they don't want to say. But they, they would always say, well, Dad, if, if anything ever happened, you always got the first phone call. Whether it was really good, and you were the last one to get it if it was really bad. And I said, well, I get that. I appreciate that. I know they know the pecking order. If they're really in deep trouble or deep shit, they'll call my mom. Because mom can trump me. Okay, she literally can say, honey, sometimes kids just do that. Don't get upset. I know how you are. You're angry, you know. And I'll say, Ma, did you ever tell my kids anything I ever did? She goes, oh, Lord, no. (laughs) I go, don't. I go, please, please don't, you know. Um, So you kind of had me at uh, Mafia Social Club across the street. (laughs) I mean, if you Google it, you cannot lie these days. here's, Here's another thing. I'm at a stage in my life. I care what people think, but I don't care what they think because I know if I'm doing the right thing, if my foundation is solid, if I do the best I can, if I hang around people who I love or, you know, newly meet or want to create a relationship with, they're going to accept me for who I am. You can't lie. Just Google it. Seriously. (laughs) Right, right. You know? So I was showing my daughter at Dunkin' Donuts. I said, uh, she was talking about getting married and the the man she's with, so, you know, a lawyer and the relationship goes back and forth. And I said, the biggest mistake I ever made in my life was the first time I got married. I was only married five months. I got a bartender, you know, got her pregnant. I wanted to do the right thing, you know, get married. At that time, she was going back and forth with um, somebody that was in the mafia. Um, They were engaged, and it was kind of like a love-hate relationship, you know. And eventually she married me, and the fight in me wanted to win the battle. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. to win the girl, so to speak. But the resort, you know, the results and the consequences were, I don't even know how to describe it. Um, kind of like Sharon Stone and Casino. You know, I love you, I hate you. Well, why did you come home for three freaking days? You mm-hmm. know, yeah. where were you? The kids are eating butter and syrup. I got to go work 14 hours, and you're going to sleep all freaking day while they're running the house, and they're, you know, babies. Yeah. I just, I couldn't do it. I remember the day I left my house. I was a very fortunate in the neighborhood I lived in. I made a lot of money at a young age, which, you know, everybody went to college in my family. I went to University Hard Knocks as a teamster, 300 South Ashland Avenue. You know, you see a row of Lincoln Town cars of every denomination, every color, every kit, every, you know, package, Jack Nicholas, mm-hmm. Cartier. I said, that was going to be me, where, you know, $150 Italian shoes, and this is 40 years ago, so those shoes are probably $500 now, right? Um, it's just, it didn't, I made a lot of money. I moved to this neighborhood. My stepmom, who was a lawyer, says to my father, Rob, he can't afford this house. He goes, honey, he makes more money than you. She goes, he does not. He, you know, she goes, uh, yes, he does. That's why I gave him our banker, you know. So I buy this beautiful house, and they have all this terrible experience. I mean, horrible, horrible experiences. And I remember sitting at the front of the house and looking at the corner, and I had to go to work. And for me personally, at this stage in my life, I can always remember the smallest things could help me make the hardest decisions. And the hardest decision that day was not going back. And the reason I didn't, I says, I said, where were you last night? And she laughed at me like the witch from the Wizard of Oz. That, that what do you call it, heckle, hackle, yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah, I think we can all hear it. Like, oh, yeah. fuck. Yeah. You know, like I'm some piece of shit. And I said, you know what, fuck you. I'm done. I don't care what my mother thinks, my father. I love my children, you know. I try to get custody of them. I was a whole nother, you know, animal. Lawyers say, well, we can do anything, you know. That's not true. 
Well, you mentioned uh, early on that you felt uh, an instinct to know, essentially to know right from wrong or what's good or bad. How were you able to hold that at bay while you might have been engaged in things that you might not have thought were right? Or did you not know at the time? I, I, I don't think my skill set was strong enough to, to realize at the time. I think I was, uh, you know, glamorized or whatever, you know, with the, with the people in the neighborhood. Yeah. I'm going to have a beautiful Mercedes, a Cadillac. I'm going to go to the hockey game and sit in the front row with the girl with the mink coat. Yeah. You know, it was just, it was the awe of it. And with coming from a divorced family and a father that was just treating me horrible, you know, I love him. I, I realized later in life, you know, he didn't know any better. You got alcoholism, you know, behavior, things he was going through, things that he was, I mean, it gets deeper, the lasagna, you know, layer, yeah. layer, layer, layer. And now I'm yeah. at the point like, okay, can you just, whatever, whatever <laughs> happened, happened. Can we just eat now? You know, seriously, <laughs> yeah. pass the potatoes, please. Yeah. Because yeah. I don't care. Move your head. I can't see the TV. <laughs> you know? All right. But how do you, it's like you said, your kids don't have street smarts, but you have street smarts. How much of your environment dictated you having to have street smarts? I mean, you got a fucking <laughs> mafia. So like, I don't even understand that. What does that mean? A mafia social club across the well, street? Well, that means nothing bad happens in the neighborhood. I promise you that you can park <laughs> your car anywhere you want day and not, not like sportsman's where I live now, you know, on Franklin street. You got a fat guy, 40 and 400 pounds, sitting in a chair watching everybody's cards while they go in there and play cards all night and bring beautiful girls and drink and talk and discuss business. And and that was just normal? That was absolutely. Just, that was just part of the neighborhood? Absolutely, without a doubt. And wow. There's just funny stories with that as well. I mean, it, it depends how deep you want to go into the stories. but uh, I'll deep dive. Give us, <laughs> uh, give us what you can. <laughs> Change the names to protect those who need to. Well, I don't even remember their names, but I know how important they were to the neighborhood and to that club. Let's put it that way, okay? And the particular street where my mom lives, and she still lives there today, always flooded when it rained. For whatever reason, the Chicago sewer system and the Elmwood Park sewer system met right there, and they just didn't fit properly. So every time it rained, it would flood, and I mean two feet of water. Well, I remember one particular day, uh, or it was a night, actually. It was in August, a hot summer night, and it's pouring rain, and everybody had to come out of the club. They play cards in the basement. First floor was the bar, the TV, whatever. And there were steps to go up to it, and one of the old-timers was sitting in the chair, and I was with uh, my neighbor down the street, who was the grandson of Sam Giancana. Now, at that time, I don't know if he was involved, you know, how deeply involved but that's what his name was so everybody knew him for his name and we're going up to the club and i remember he's talking he goes you know who, you know who my grandpa was he's like yeah kid i know who you are and all of a sudden this beautiful girl like my age comes out in this black dress high heels and starts rubbing his shoulders nibbling on his ear and my, i'm like oh my god <laughs> Like, first of all, he's like 80 freaking years old. How do you do that? You know, <laughs> like, I, you know, you really nibble on grandpa's ear like that? <laughs> I'm grossed out and intrigued all at the Exactly. <laughs> and then I'm trying to see if her toes are painted. You know what I mean? It's just so it's like. <clears throat> <laughs> so it's flooded out. And Carl's grandma comes out of the house and she sees all of us on the porch because there's steps. And you got the curb and the sidewalk, and we're all trying not to get wet. And the grandma comes out. Now, you got to remember, it's August. She comes out in boots, like furry boots, her robe, and like a coat over it. And it's got to be 100 degrees outside. She's probably four foot nine, four foot ten tops. 
And she screamed at Carl, you boys need to come home and help me get this water out of the basement. This is ridiculous. You ain't doing nothing. Get your ass home. He's like, Graham, 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 I'll be there in a minute. I'll be there in a minute. And uh, Carl goes to the guy sitting in the chair, the old timer. He goes, yeah, that's my grandma. She goes, yeah, kid, I know who she is. And she starts barking at him. She goes, yeah, I know who you were. She goes, you guys said you went golfing, but I knew there were guns in those bags. <laughs> and at that point, I don't know how it came out, but she goes, you guys think I'm stupid? She goes, I was in Cook County. I was in the hospital. I was one of the nurses when they brought Dillinger in. And she goes, did you know he had a parrot on his prick? A tattoo of a parrot? <laughs> and the next thing, we got we to gotta walk down back down the street to bail out the water. You know? <laughs> Is that true? Why would do I? Uh, this is he, I told, he had a parrot on his. I don't know. I didn't see any <laughs> autopsy pictures, but just we the fact this just even like... comes out as everyday conversation. You want to know how I came out? How I came out? These, this go. is not like how was school today? You know, huh? what color was know? the parrot on the Dillinger's prick? <laughs> I don't even know where to go from there. Yeah, I mean, I think I, we just no made some up. broke history right there. <laughs> so that was just the environment. That was the. The your school of hard knocks was it scary or was it? Oh yeah, oh yeah, oh, absolutely, absolutely. When you're dealing with people, first of all, I'm not the strongest person. There's always somebody stronger. There's always somebody who has more money. There's always somebody crazier. There's always somebody who's a sociopath. Somebody who's just psychotic. Somebody just doesn't give a fuck. Somebody that when you, no matter what room you're in or what bar you're in or what restaurant or club or anything, you just your instincts once again tell you. Oh, fuck, you know, just don't look at your shoes. Don't even look at them. I don't want them over here. And they just want to fight you for no reason. And I mean, I don't mean just slap you around like you're a little girl. I mean, beat the fuck out of you so bad that you can't walk for six months. You know, there was, uh, no, there was, I, it was very depressing type of life. It was a feast or famine. Either we had money from winning at the track or, or drugs or whatever, something that was stolen. Um, everybody had, you had to have some kind of inside track that was to be able to obtain things. And I'll give you two examples. One, if you wanted furniture, you had somebody in the family get a job working at the furniture store. Name brand, not a, not a local, not a family owned one, but a chain. Then you get the job where you have everybody go in and put stuff on layaway. Where do they put stuff on layaway? They store it in the back. You have in one day, one guy, everybody comes with all their vans or trucks, the guy that's in the back who gave a fake name to get the job, because this is 40, 50 years ago. you got to remember, you know, they're not doing background checks. You know, this is, you just right. say, my name's Jim Stuckey. You know, no, that's Bobby Woods, but, uh, you know, whatever. <laughs> Good enough, yeah. You know? So everybody would go that day and pick up all the stuff that was on layaway, and then you'd quit your job, and then everybody got new furniture, okay? If you didn't have a real job, you'd go to the guy at the car dealer who was knew somebody or was involved some way, was a relative, family member, part of some kind of, you know, crew, and they give you the cards, and you make the car payment just to the owner. Now it's pay-as-you-go like you have down here, but it was just like that back then, but you were driving Cadillacs or Chrysler New Yorkers, you know? The barbershop was also a good place to go to. If you ever needed anything, you would go to the barbershop. If, if there was a Prince tribute coming to town and it's Saturday morning at 8 o'clock and you needed a purple leather jacket to go to this party tonight, you go to the barbershop. Because somebody will get you a purple leather jacket that's a 42 long, you know. So you just walk in and announce oh, your absolutely. need and like, gotcha. 
Well, they're all sitting around anyways. You know, everybody's sitting around talking. There was always, you know, there was always some kind of gig. I remember another gig where I was, I don't even think I was old enough to drive. I think I was 15. And my buddy called me. He goes, Bob, I'm sick today. I'm hungover. He says, I can't go get the money for my dad. Can you go for me? I'm like, what? I said, I said, what do I got to do? He goes, come on. And anytime he was mad at me, he called me Bob. Come on, Bob. Don't be a puss. Come on, Bob. <laughs> You're not doing anything. You're just sitting at home doing nothing. I need you. I need you now. I go, well, how am I going to get there? He goes, take your mother's car. So now I'm thinking, I go, so now I have to, I already know what I have to do. <laughs> I have to put my church clothes on or some nice clothes on to go steal my mother's car, to go to the ghetto, to go get the lottery numbers, the lottery money, okay, Take that money. Then he's telling me before they give it to the boss to go to the track and bet on these horses to hope that they can win. <laughs> you go bet? Yeah. <laughs> and now I'm afraid I'm like I'm going to get carded, you know, like with all this money. I'm 15. I'm like, dude, I think you need to be 18 to bet, you know? So I'm driving around Cicero, so I place the bets, this and, and your that. stolen mother's car. Right. And your Sunday church clothes. Well, then just nice clothes, but I'm just right. trying to, you need to know that it was <laughs> sure, extra yeah, yeah. special. It wasn't, feel you, yeah. <laughs> you know, I had to look older, right? To go bet, I got the sunglasses on, the church clothes, driving my mother's car like I belong, making these bets. So now I got to take all the tickets and I have to go back to Cicero. And it's this little bar, dive bar, and they're all, it's on a Saturday. They're all watching college football. And it's dark in there and they're drinking. And I go in there and I hand them the money that I didn't spend and I handed them the tickets. And it gives me a lot of money. I was like, oh, man, this is fucking worth it, right? He goes, go ahead, count it. Right now? He's like, yeah. I'm counting. It's all singles. <laughs> so everybody in the bar is laughing at me like, ah, oh, you thought you had a big five grand there, didn't you, kid? $40. Get the fuck out of here. Stolen car, church clothes, dry cleaning, gas, in the ghetto, going to get shot, little white boy. Thanks, man. 40 bucks. 40 bucks. You guys wipe your ass with $40. <laughs> Oh my God. So you're sitting in your house, you look up in the corner, she what laughs like a witch and you say, fuck it, I'm out of here. So what happens next? Well, I needed a place to live. I talked to my father. He gave me five grand to get the best lawyer. Um, she was with somebody else at the time. So he moves into my house. I really, I lost everything. I was depressed. I was sad. I was broken. I mean, not only heartbroken, financially broken. I love my children more than anything in the world. I felt I let everybody down. I had a ball-busting job, you know, driving a beer truck. You know, I worked 14 hours a day. It just, it just sucked. And I met a girl who was a bartender. Probably shouldn't do that. I'm just going to throw that out there. <laughs> Meet another bartender. And she was on my stop, and she was just nice to me, you know. And we just started talking, and, you know, a couple months would go by, and she'd call me, or, you know, I'd think about her. Um, it was very, uh, you know, far away kind of uh, attraction or whatever. And I just was like a broken puppy, so I just wanted to be loved. I just wanted a girl. I wanted to show the first one, you know, fuck you. I'll land on my feet. I'll get another girl. I'll start all over, you know. And... Married her, was married for five years, and that was just, I, 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 I've been married three times, and I'll break it down like this. First time was hell, second time was purgatory, third time was heaven. That's the only real analogy I can give you uh, of where I'm at in my life. Um, I found that once I started getting healthier with the second one, 
that she would try and sabotage it because for whatever reason she needed to always be around somebody that was broken to try and fix them but she didn't want them to excel or get to a more of a yeah. you know let's go from high school to college to being a master's degree to a doctorate's degree you know it's just she wanted you to be stuck yeah and i was a caveman you know i needed to go hunt i needed to hit something yeah and it just did, did. you see that while it was happening did it take some time to kind of it figure was, that out or well the first one was so bad that anything after that could only be better. <laughs> yeah. But I did see some of the, you know, and a lot of the common denominators, we're talking about two bartenders here, a beer driver, you know, somebody that grew up in a, an Irish kid, you know, in, in, with Italian people and Irish people, alcoholism. What's, how's it go? It says everybody wants to fight, but they're too drunk to remember where the fight is, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's, it, it just, it, it, it broke me, you know, and the, there were some terrible things that happened the second time. And I've told my children why I felt they needed to know why, you know, mm -hmm. yeah. daddy loves you. He moves far away. You know, I would have to drive back and forth all the time. Um, some of the kids came to live with me by choice. I still paid child support on them, even though they lived with me because I loved them so much. It's almost like that biblical story. What did the guy, what was, what was the baby that you had to cut in half? The, the Pharaoh yeah. said, oh, yeah. So, yeah, I said, if you truly love your children, I said, keep the fucking money. All right. If I love my children, just get the fuck out of the way. I'm not going to court again to give it to a lawyer to have him sign a piece of paper that I could pull off a of fucking, you know, off the Internet. Right. I said, no, no, no. Just so I said, fucking keep. Yeah. I had 61 percent of my check after taxes for the last five years from like 2010 to 2015 taken out of my check. Wow. And I had the same job when I got divorced from both. You know, it's just ridiculous. Yeah. I made it though. Yeah, I did it. What I what I what I lack in talent, perseverance, I make up in spite. Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah, you got to make it up somehow. It's a high octane fuel. Isn't it? Well, the best way to get back at anybody that's hurt you, especially a woman, is you just get one that's prettier and makes more money. <laughs> Seriously, that's your uh, that's your, your ball and, scratcher of the day right there. And uh, your kids and your kids love her. You know, because oh, the trifecta right there. There you go. Prettier. Makes more money and, and your kids, kids love her. her. There you go. That's your ball scratcher of the day right there. So tell us about heaven, man. So when did you meet heaven? How did you meet heaven? Well, heaven, heaven had to come the hard way. Heaven was, there was a situation where my second ex-wife didn't come home. She wasn't working. She was watching the kids. She went out all the time. She went to a bar went to a party with some guy. That guy stole my car because she didn't have a job. It was Lincoln Continental. Back then, Lincoln Continental's and Cadillacs were cool. I know mm. you got Tesla, Lexus, yeah. you know, everybody's got something. But back then, in a neighborhood, that was cool. So mm. I'm like, okay, this, you know, I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> so the phone rings at 3.30 in the morning. I, the kids are there. I got to go to work the next day. And they said, yeah, uh, she's in the police station. Come get me. This is my son telling me this, Okay. I said, all right, get in the car. Let's go. So I had the other kid watch the little girls, the older one. So we go to the police station, and I walk in there. And you got to understand, the guy's got half glasses, biceps the size of my legs. Mm. Doesn't care about anything or anybody. It's 3, 30, 4 o'clock in the morning, and he's reading the paper, taking his finger, licking it, turning the pages, won't even look up at me. said, I'm here to pick up my wife. He goes, there ain't nobody here. I go, sir, it's like 3, 30, 4 o'clock in the morning. They just called me to come to the police station. I know she's here. I wouldn't just sleepwalk here. <laughs> yeah. Keeps reading the paper. I said, I said, she's not here. Goes back to licking it. 
like in his finger turning a page. I said, sir, please, I'm begging you. So he looks at me with his half glasses. He kind of looks down at me, grabs the phone without even looking at the phone, picks it up, presses a button. He goes, Jimmy, you got anybody down there? No. Looks at me, hangs up the phone, goes right back to reading the paper, licking his finger, turning the pages. So I leave. I go back home. I'm like, what the fuck? Phone rings again. Yeah, well, I'm in Palos Hills. I go, Palos Hills? What the fuck are you doing at Palos Hills? So me and the kid go get him. And I could see her. The cop who told me to come get her said, dude, I don't know how you're going to do it. If you kill her, I understand. I mean, it was totally because <laughs> he knew what happened. Yeah. He goes, nobody takes that shit. Nobody. You fucking go out. You go out with some other guy. You meet at a bar. Then he steals your car. <laughs> come on. Yeah. There does seem to be some. Yeah. So that at that point in time, I knew that everything was tanking. Going downhill. I couldn't, I, I, I just, I couldn't accept where I was at in life. And once again, very sad, but going to work. And I find, you know, you talk about a trifecta. For me, it, it may be more than a trifecta. Let's see. It'd be family, relationship, children, money. It's hard for me to have everything balanced for all those. Mm-hmm. I could have the jobs doing great, making money. Marriage is great. One of the kids is fucking up. Mm-hmm. You know, there's never the perfect four square type situation so i'm back to you know uh, brokenhearted going to work and there's this girl that i would talk to at AT at&t that's far away in evansville indiana had the sweetest voice like an angel like that and to me it was like just the the little twang it was enough to be curious intriguing or whatever but it was work i never saw her never knew what she looked like but it was somebody was actually nice to me Mm mm-hmm now I'm a wood chopper. I go to work early. I need to have a, a plan, a mission statement, timelines, exactly what I'm going to do today. And she would help me organize, give me information to help me do it faster. You know, I'm going to go see these customers today. Can you give me some information on it? I want to be prepared when I go there and I want to make some money. I want to make some sales. She would help me. Well, one day I told her the story that I just told you about the car, you know, stole my car. She was like, you poor thing. She goes, she goes, Bobby, she goes, you know, you're not supposed to live like this, right? She goes, you know this. And I'm like, yeah, the kids, and it was always something, and a mistake from the first time. It was just it was a horrible, horrible experience. And one day, my boss in Chicago says, hey, we're all going to go down to Evansville. We're all going to go to the building, right? Well, you got to remember, it's so HR sensitive strong you can't have relationships it's like the military pecking orders and they're such a large corporation they will get rid of you if you fart ketchup on you if they want to you know (laughs) you're out the door so i'll never forget i was talking to her and i said well when you come down you know we're gonna have to partner up and there's different exercises that corporate has designed for us we'll partner up so i'm on this bus coming down here we're drinking beers, mm-hmm. smoking cigarettes, throwing them out the freaking window, <laughs> you know, the little slider, yeah. playing cards in between the sheets, and we're in no position to be going anywhere in that freaking building. Mm-hmm. So I'm the last one off the bus because I got to take, take a piss, right? And I don't want to go in there. First thing I got to do is smell like beer and go take a piss. So I'm the last one off. We go in there, and somebody grabs me says, hey, I want you to be with me today. I says, oh, okay, okay. I was going to be. She goes, yeah, yeah, you know, you were the last one off the bus you know, Karen, I already picked somebody else. And I says, Oh, okay. I, I never saw what she looked like. So we go through the first morning of exercises. It's lunchtime and we're getting ready to go to licks or one of these places downtown An elevator door opens. And I see the most beautiful girl I've ever seen in my life. 
I don't know how God does it. He strikes you with lightning or whatever, like they do in the movies. And I remember she had white, like, guest jeans on tight, these Liz Claiborne sandals, brown, terry cloth top, tan, blonde hair, long legs, <laughs> you know, just big brown <laughs> eyes, perfect body. And I'm just like, oh, my God. And here's the funny thing about me, that at that point, I really cared so much what she thought of me. I didn't push the envelope. I wasn't an ignorant. I was old school. I was like, kind of like, you know, I would, a true courtship. May I see your daughter? This is how important she yeah, is to yeah. me. Just old school, right? So we go out to lunch, and I knew when I start getting nervous, because I'm not a nervous person. I'm watching how I eat. Oh, my God, please chew with your mouth closed. <laughs> I'm like, you yeah. know, I'm like, make sure I'm eating a barbecue sandwich. Yeah, you know, do, I make sure any, I'm doing, do I have anything on my teeth? <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> <laughs> so after all that, later that night, we went to the casino, and everybody's there drinking and having a good time. And I remember walking her back to her car because I was staying at the hotel. So this is the girl on the phone, right? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So you did you know that when the elevator doors opened? No. No. Oh, no. Wow. So you're in love with the girl on the phone, no, I got, I and said, you're in love with the girl in the elevator. I said and I got up, struck by lightning. And then they end up being the same fucking person. That's un-fucking-believable. Yeah. Buy some lottery tickets. That's fucking Dude. fantastic right there. All right, so you're walking her to her car from the casino. She grabs my hand starts holding my hand. I'll send the big boss, the big, biggest boss you got there, sees us. Mm. And I look at you, you look at me. <laughs> There's not. I didn't say anything. She never told on me, never said a word, okay? Never told corporate, never told anybody they worked with. People know. Back to instincts, you know? Mm -hmm. So time goes on, and our conversations that I would have with her became more personal instead of business, but it was never over the line. I never said, hey, baby, it was nothing like, you know, hey, I'm looking to get a car. What would you do this weekend? It was still that I was on my best behavior because I cared so much about her. So a year goes by, and one day I get a text, not a text, but a, a pager. It says 99, means I have a voicemail. And she calls me and says, uh, hey, I need my Bobby fix. How come you didn't call me today? I'm like, man, this girl, <laughs> you know. That's great. So she goes, I'm going to come down there next. She calls. She said, this is what happened. I won a, a contest. Uh, a sales contest, a president's club thing. I come back to work. She goes, hey, I really need to talk to you. And I'm like, fuck. So I'm driving in my Cadillac on a brick phone. She says, I'll call you three. I said, can't you tell me now? I can't wait all day. <laughs> she goes, I will tell you later. I will call you at 3.30. So she says, I'm coming down there. She goes, I really miss you. I'm like, "That's all." I said, you could have told me that at 7 o'clock this morning. <laughs> yeah. So... The, that night, you know, I'm putting my, this is how long ago, Miami Vice clothes. I don't know how to describe it. You know what yeah, I mean? I'm getting. Fuck yeah. I am music I'm, in my head right yeah. now. I am trying to dress to the now, were nine. you Don Johnson or the other guy? Were you? I'm, yeah. There's only one of me. I'm no, there's no. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So I go in this particular day, we have a meeting where everybody comes from different branches to this particular building. And I'm all dressed up, and it's casual day because we're having a meeting all day, you know. Mm. And my boss, who's the godfather to my youngest child, he's like, he goes, what's going on? He goes, why are you so dressed up? You got appointments? He goes, I told you not to make any. You don't have any appointments. I know what you have today. What are you doing? <laughs> I said, hey, bro, I got to leave at 1 o'clock. 
He goes, one o'clock? He goes, I go, yeah. I go, you know that girl, Karen? He goes, yeah, that girl's fine. I go, she's coming to see me. He goes, what? <laughs> he goes, man. He goes, are you crazy? Are you crazy? I said, what? I go, I, he said, he says, you can't do this, Bob. You just got another bad relationship. You need to focus on your work. You need to focus on your children. You don't need a girlfriend 333 miles away. You understand me? I said, I understand. I understand. I'll tell her. I'll tell her. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> She pulls up in a black sports car, mini skirt, tan, nails are done, you know. And I said, man, nice car. She goes, come here. She grabs my tie, grabs me, gives me a kiss. I said, oh, shit. You said, I'm sorry, I can't <laughs> see you anymore? Yeah, right. No, I didn't say my, shit. My I said, let's eat. That's right. Let's, let's, this is Bobby. I said, let's eat. <laughs> <laughs> so I take her down to Chicago, this and that. She's got to come back. I come back to work the next day. And I come in the back door, and I try to get there a little bit early. My boss always came to work early. He's a workaholic, too. And all of a sudden, you're hearing a loudspeaker in the garage. Bobby Woods, get in my office right now, motherfucker. <laughs> no way. This is corporate. <laughs> yeah. So you know everybody in that garage is like, oh, my God, what did Bobby do? Yeah. So you're in this glass cubicle, this and that, and he takes his watch off, and he slides it across. And I go, what would you do that for? He goes, you know what time it is? Take a look, because I'm going to tell you what time it is. He goes, please tell me you broke it off with her. And his nickname was, we called each other Huck, like Huckleberry from, you know, Doc Holliday. Yeah, yeah, I'll movie. be your Huckleberry. I'll be your Huckleberry. <laughs> so he says to me, he goes, did you break it off with her? I said, I did exactly what you told me to do. And he goes, oh, thank God. I go, for the first four seconds. He goes, the first four seconds. I go, Huck, she kissed me. He goes, man, pigs get fat, hogs get slaughtered. And he goes, boy, you're a swine. He goes, good luck. He goes, but don't tell anybody. So... I have to come down here again. This is just coming back and forth. And by now, people just know. They know we're talking on the phone. Still got to pretend that, you know, we're not, this and that. My boss gets promoted to another job, and I get this other boss. And I don't know if you've ever seen the, it's, I call it the, the movie Barbershop. You know, we're like Cedric or whatever, Ice Cube or whatever, yeah. but the guy across the street in the Jaguar, the jackass that's trying to open it up and commercialize it, that's the kind of boss I get. So now he's trying to pry into me about, you know, Karen, and he's just throwing hints out there like it's against corporate policy. You're going to get fired. You know, I have to honor. I'm like thinking, you fucking motherfucking piece of <laughs> shit. Go fuck yourself. I hope you die. And I just look at him, you know, say, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm old school. Vegas rules are Vegas rules. Keep your fucking mouth shut to the day you die. And to this day, and I'll get to this part. So my wife... It, I have now, we're not married, but um, she's working for like the, the president of the company I work for. And she would always get free tickets because he's about to retire. So he doesn't give a shit about anything anymore. Mm -hmm. She's a pretty girl. Hey, you know, take my, I mean, just go get tickets. So I would see him like at major events. Like, what are you doing here? Oh, uh, you know, I was just, I, I, like I paid for it. You know, mm -hmm. he goes, how are you sitting with the golf pros? How did you get there? I'm, you know, how come I didn't get this? Yeah. I'm like, I, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> so he would always ask me and I would never tell him. So he leaves the company my, the godfather, one of my children, leads a company, and they work together now today. To this day, if he asked me, how's Karen, I'd say, Karen, who? That's how much disrespect <laughs> I have for him. Oh, he found some tickets on the ground one time, and he picked them. I guess he picked them up, and he tried to give them to somebody else, and they just weren't sure they are going to go get an answer to something. He comes up to me, and he says, hey, Bobby, he says, I got these tickets for you. He said, you don't have no idea how hard I work to get these tickets <laughs> for you. 
He said, <laughs> but that's why you know how much I appreciate you, okay? But if I give you these tickets, I want to know what you do for me. The second he fucking says it, some chick comes up and says, Michael, Michael, did you give those tickets away yet? Oh, the ones no. you found on the ground? <laughs> I look <laughs> at him like, you're just a piece of shit. Yeah. So I never... So once in a while, my buddy Huck will text me, you know, you know, say, hey, you know, Michael says hi. I don't say no. I don't return the text. I don't say anything. I don't ask nothing. I mm-hmm. just, I don't have any respect for him, you know. It was uh, a crazy time in my life, but, yeah. you know, everything worked out. So how long have you been in heaven? 23. 23 mm. years. 23 years. We're about to build a house out Still in the country. Heaven? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. There's something... Uh, there's certain, I, love, I hate to put it like a spreadsheet point. I'm a project manager, so I don't want to make it so informal. But if certain boxes are checked in any relationship, compatibility, respect, uh, adoration, uh, love, physical attraction, same spirituality, same you know goals and ideas, same the ability to give each other space and trust, you know, how to problem solve, coping skills. If you, get, you keep marking off these, you don't need to go anywhere, bro. You know, I know God made us all cavemen and we just want to go conquer the world. But sometimes he gives you the best thing in the whole world and you need to adore it and cherish it, you know, and protect it. So that's where I'm at. And it's been that way. So where would you say the, the turning point was for you when, okay, I'm making bad choices. I'm going to start making good choices. Was there, was there a single event? Was it a accumulation? I know you told me the, the story about quitting drinking, uh, which I think is fascinating, but, uh, uh, where was that point where you're like, I'm going to do life differently for me personally, it was, I, I would drink because of the bad choices I made in my life. Some were way worse than others, but it was more the relationship stuff. The other stuff was just growing up. Okay. Mm-hmm. Eight years old. I smoked since I was eight years old. I quit in fifth grade. Think about that. <laughs> and then I started <laughs> back in sixth grade. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. You know, I got Louis Dodano, who's Willie Potato's son, teaching me how to roll a joint left-handed at a stop sign, you know, in a 1972 Merck station wagon, you know, as we're painting curbs. We used to paint curbs and say we were with the Cicero Youth Society, take a white slab of paint. You stencil black spray paint, and at night we go collect money. We're with the you know Cicero Youth Commission. We care to make a donation. It's going to go towards the equipment at the boys' club. Fuck no! I went to you know pot, <laughs> beer, cigarettes, you know grape bubble yum, gas for somebody's car to drive us to go get the paint. You still got the sales pitch though, because I was about to pull my wallet out yeah. and say, "Here, I'll donate yeah, to yeah. the Cicero Boys Club." <laughs> it's just, I mean, you know, it's just, it's just stuff like that. I would say that I, when I talk to my mom about it, my mom has a master's degree in psychology. She's, you know, did some serious counseling at Coca-Cola. Um, she's still very strict on, she's, she's, how can I put it? Kind of like a lawyer or like a doctor. She won't ever say their name mm-hmm. to this day. I go, man, you're like 83 years old. I said, which one was it? She goes, oh, no, honey. <laughs> and she's adamant about it. She won't tell you. So I quit asking, yeah. you know, I just try and learn from it. I told her I felt like I was uh, in work release, that I was allowed to go to work, they would take all my money, and I felt like a loser. My wife was so strong and so successful, she didn't pick me for money. She picked me because of who I am. So, and she would tell that to my children. She goes, I don't care. Don't get married. Don't, you don't have to do anything. She says, get a boyfriend. 
you're going to go to school, you're going to graduate college, you're going to have your own careers, and you're going to learn how to take care of yourself for the rest of your life, and you don't have to rely on a man. I go, I'm right here. What about me? She goes, <laughs> she goes you don't I'm count. Right <laughs> you don't count. You know, you're, you're not – these girls aren't going to find somebody like you. Mm-hmm. You know, and if you look at who they pick, they haven't. Uh, mm-hmm. They're not like me. Mm-hmm. There may be certain qualities, but they're no. And that's what's so fascinating to me, Bobby, hearing you tell your story is – and it just one of the categories in my mind is honorable men, mm-hmm. like men that just whenever I encounter them, I'm like, that's an honorable motherfucker. And there's something about you and just your presence that's like, from the moment I met you, was like, that is an honorable guy. His word is his word. And it's so fascinating to hear you talk about one, just the whole, the resilience of your story. At times where you felt like giving up, you just didn't fucking give up. You just kept grinding from hell to purgatory to finally getting to heaven. And I think that's part of society now. There's no fucking resilience. I mean, we give up if we get a goddamn hangnail. It's like, oh, well, this is so hard and my feelings are hurt. And it's just that level of resilience. But then I also hear you talk about, you know, your courtship with Karen and how, again, I'll go back to the word honorable, how intentionally honorable you were. Mm -hmm. And then I think about fucking Tinder and all of this bullshit and the way that Guys approach girls now. I mean, swipe fucking, I don't even know which direction, whatever. <laughs> and it's like. According to the song, it's to the left. To the left. <laughs> according, according to the song, uh-huh. swipe left. And it's like, where's the goddamn honor in that? Do you remember, uh, what was the movie? Uh, it was The Godfather. I don't remember if it was Godfather 1 when Al Pacino had to go to Sicily because there was a war back in New York. And he saw Apollonia and how he wanted, you know, he approached the father and they had to make sure. I said the same thing to Karen's father. And I said, listen, your daughter is one of the most beautiful, intriguing, kind, loving, confident, supportive. I've never met anybody like her in the whole world. I said, I don't have the best past. And I said, if you want me to leave her alone, I will, because I love her that much. And he looked at me, tilted his head, and we were in You the said car. that? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Say that shit again, because that, that <laughs> may be great. a better ball scratcher. Yeah. You said what to him? I said, listen, I said, I love your daughter so much. She's the most beautiful, intriguing, confident, selfless, uh, important people I've ever met in my life. You know, I said, my past hasn't been the best, my track record. And I said, I adore her, I love her, and if you don't want me to be a part of her life, you tell you say the word and I will leave her alone. Damn, I give you my dude. word. Wow. And we were driving and he took his hand, put it on my leg, and he said, you know, don't worry about it. It's okay. That's great. Dude, how how terrifying was that moment? Like <laughs> I wasn't. It wasn't because it came from my heart. Because it was I'm a the big, truth. It was the absolute I believed in it a hundred percent. If I believe in something, and, and I'll give you another example. You, you know, we were talked earlier how I transitioned, you know, sometimes the simplest things. Yeah, you know, can help me make a difficult decision like the the the, the, the heckle or whatever. The first one, mm-hmm. second one was I just know she doesn't love me. And I remember I was with my buddy in a bar, and she started talking to some guy, 
And what I did is I went up to the guy she was flirting with, and I bought him both a drink, and I put my hands around. I said, I wish you the best of luck, and I never fucking went back. <laughs> and my buddy and the bouncer said, you, the, even the bouncer said, do you want me to kill him? <laughs> he was that serious. You know what I mean? He didn't wow. even know me. Nope. Don't let him I off said, no. that easy. And my buddy who I was with, I called him fucko. He goes, I said, come on, fucko, let's go. <laughs> he says, where are we going? I said, we're going somewhere else. He goes, you just going to leave her here? I go, yes. Never. Wow. That was it. Just let that dumpster fire yep. burn, right? Yep. Yep. That um, is fantastic. <laughs> Bought them both a drink and then wish, walked wish the them fuck luck. out. Mm -hmm. That is fantastic. I never went back. That was I was done. That was it. It was the break. That was there's no point. Yeah, you know? that is. But I moved, you know, I did drink a lot. I drank beer, first of all. So I drank about nine beers a day. That was my that was my track record. Three mm -hmm. after work because I had a stressful day. Three, because I started belly laughing. And three, it's too early to go to bed or Burger King, you know. <laughs> but that was my cycle, you know, pack of smokes, be with my boys, do whatever I got to do, go home, you know. It's just repeat, rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat. And when I knew I was going to have to stop paying child support and I started, grandkids were starting to come in the picture. I didn't want them to think their grandpa was a bad person. He was, you know, had a terrible childhood, made all these terrible choices, be associated with drinking. I knew the child support was about to end, and I started cleaning up my act. Mm -hmm. And I and I, it, I was so, because I'm a project manager, you got to have a system. I said, well, I, I, I stopped probably two years before the support ran out, you know, before I had to stop paying, started changing my life, my cycle time, my attitude. But I do remember a couple things I would say to my wife, and this is how much I respect her. I said, you know, I, I just I can't drink anymore. I can't do this anymore. I do not want to do this anymore. I said, I think I'm going to go to AA. She goes, AA, you? She goes, why would you do that? I go, I don't know, just start somewhere. Mm -hmm. She goes, Bobby Woods. She goes, you are the only person in this world I know. When you make your mind up, it's a done deal. She goes, you don't need to do anything. She goes, what do you tell people all the time? I said, the answer's in the mirror. She goes, well, then the answer's in the mirror. Save your time good enough yeah so i'm struggling with it i'm struggling with it the cigarettes more than the drinking i don't know what they put in cigarettes these days <laughs> yeah but i'm well, telling you physically addic addictive substance oh my yeah. god I mean, just yeah so i was having a terrible day and i said babe i said i don't know if i could do this anymore and she she rolled over in the bed and looked at me she pointed to me she goes listen to me superman go put your cape on and get out of here <laughs> dude so i know what yeah so i know that even though I may not get rewarded sometimes for, like, the things I do, these kids and my wife and grandchildren know really what I bring to the table. I may not get, you know, a plaque hanging over the bathroom or over the toilet mm -hmm. or something, but they know. Yeah. They know. So I had a job interview a month ago, maybe three weeks ago, and I know this person doesn't know me. She's my director. She calls me Robert. So first of all, <laughs> I already know I feel like a second-grade Catholic school, right? Yeah, sitting in yeah. the back because my name is Woods. You got to sit in the back. The W, then Z, Zinsky, some Polish kid, right? <laughs> and I'm trying to explain to her. She goes, well, I don't think you're good, you know, fit for this job. I go, the job I've been doing for two years that I've basically nobody's ever complained about or ever said. I said, that's okay. I said, I'm at a stage in my life where I know if you don't believe that I can do something I'm already doing. You let me fly the plane with all the pregnant women that are about to give birth mm -hmm. with your children on my lap while I'm flying the plane, and then I ask for a hat, <laughs> a pilot's hat, and you yeah. tell me I'm not qualified. Right. I said, okay. 
That's okay. Not everybody likes steak and shrimp. I said, you're from California. I said, personally, I, I, I don't even know this. I go, well, I'm not vegan, so I understand. Meaning, like, you don't even know what meat is. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I said to myself, I said, I know what I bring to the table. I've done my time. And if you don't want to dance with me, I don't want to dance with you. And that's okay. And that's really where I'm at in my life. There's something else for me to do. Like today, this is exciting. I would rather do this than kiss her ass. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, absolutely. Dude. So. Yeah. And that is like that place where you actually are deciding what's a part of your life rather than can I get them to accept me? You know, when you go into an interview and you're interviewing them just as much as they're interviewing you, God, that's a fucking fulfilling place to be, isn't it? It is. It is. It means you're in a good place in your life and you're in control. And that's where I get, and that's part of the reason, I mean, there, there's several reasons for the, for the podcast, but one of the primary reasons is boys coming up today that, I mean, all they fucking do is play video games. The only interaction they have with women is Pornhub on their phone. They don't have the fucking emotional stamina or courage to honor a woman the way that you honored Karen. You know, they're going to swipe left and hope that she swipes back. And, and there's never that human interaction that human experience and it's like all of the challenges that you faced through life get you through that to that place and you can't get that playing goddamn black ops on with your buddies on xbox you can't get that whenever you desire to interact with a woman and you're searching on pornhub you got, I mean, you, you have to create resilience. You have to create courage. And that's what I find just so fucking inspiring about hearing your story and your life events and just that you just kept fucking grinding to where you're one of the most honorable men I've ever met. Thank I mean, you. I can say that without any hesitation. And being around another guy whose word is his fucking word that is that's a bond right there man and a million thank yous for joining us today it was my pleasure um the door is open my friend i mean you <laughs> yeah. come you come hang out as often as you want whenever you want and you start thinking i wish i would have told this story then you just show the yeah. fuck up and you tell the story got it yeah all right buddy all right thanks for everything guys bobby yeah. thank you for coming in it's been a blast hopefully we'll hear you again uh soon all right yeah. love you man all right, all right.